Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. But, you know, it's 30 to 23. Uh, my, mo- my mom, what a Freudian slip. My wife texted me and she said, what's your plan? And honestly... Uh, my plan is to walk in front of a fucking bus. Because the first half of this game for Nebraska, it was like eating a bucket of feedlot shit. You know, with the gravel and everything in it, it was a terrible first half. And then the second half, we came out, we, we did like we did against Michigan. We started scoring points, we started moving the ball, and ultimately it wasn't enough as we gave up that big run. I like the way that Minnesota mixes up their quarterbacks between Morgan and Kramer. Because Kramer, you know, makes you confused. You think he's going to keep the ball, and then bam, he hands it off. He throws it. Uh, In the first half, I'll say this. Honest to God, in the first half, I'm not making this up. At one point, I thought, I'm just going to go in, take my camera gear off, and and quit all of this shit. Because it's really hard to take. And I was just going to take all my clothes off and leave the stadium. I probably wouldn't have got for him. People would have gone, my God, nobody needs to see that. But again, does anybody need to see this shit anymore? We need to learn how to win games. One score games. I don't know. Look at them. They're all down there having fun, the motherfuckers. I guess congratulations, you Minnesota goop bastards. Who thought this this uh, Nebraska team could score 38 points against Minnesota? Kind of a jackass would make that prediction. I thought Bowling Green, Minnesota to show up. What the hell was I thinking? There's no hope. Fuck everything. Hello and welcome to the Pants Party. I am your host, Harrison Starr, a.k.a. HD underscore Star, joined as always by Ben Ross, a.k.a. Renboss23. And the intro you heard was John Johnston of Corn Nation uh, after Nebraska's loss to Minnesota uh, from their YouTube. It was uh, incredible. We're going to start there and then get to the Iowa game because I I watched more of the Nebraska-Minnesota game live than I did the Iowa-Purdue game. I did watch the Iowa-Purdue game eventually. And let me just say, Nebraska is the most fun team to watch in all of college football. I'm committed to that take. I mean, I'll fight you on that. Uh, I watched absolutely zero of Nebraska-Minnesota game. I watched zero college football this weekend other than Iowa-Purdue. And I went into the Iowa-Purdue game assuming I'd only have to watch a quarter because my mom was in town. So I sort of <laughs> I sort of um, treated her, I don't know how to put this in lighter terms, like a puppy. And try to get her tired all morning. Took her shopping <laughs> to all of her favorite stores all around Chicago. And her favorite boutique, I knew, was next to a sports bar of some repute in a Chicago neighborhood. So made sure she was knuckles deep in some shiny things for the first quarter while I could sneak away. 
and watch the game. And as it went, is I was like, I, I just can't leave this this game. And thankfully, there were more stores to occupy my mom's time. Um, and that was the only football I watched all weekend, including NFL. I spent Sunday in a pumpkin patch. Um, and that's just, I, I spent it there. I took a nap. That's 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 where I spent my Sunday. Try try and get as far away from from society as possible, and keep my mind off of these artists, formerly known as the number two Iowa Hawkeyes. Ah, uh, yeah. I guess I guess we should talk about that. Like I said, I I, I didn't watch the game live because we were uh, at a wedding, but I watched enough of it on enough. Um, cell phone videos and bar televisions out of the corner of my eye telling myself if I don't pay attention they're actually going to win and that 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 didn't work it it, it really didn't work because um obviously they lost in excruciating fashion and I I thought man when I rewatch it it's gonna feel and look exactly as I think it did. And Ben, I can't believe it, but like it, it was so much worse than I expected. I, I have some numbers. I did some capital P podcasting uh, th- that I want to walk through, but like I'm, I'm blown away by how that game felt like a 49 to seven hand blasting. And, and yet it was still only 24 to seven. I mean, the game was never close. I mean, really, right? Like, there was a part of me, I will say, after the fumble onto the pylon, which I agree is a very dumb rule. But when that happened, for a brief flitter of a moment, there was, I thought to myself, there's no way I would lose this this game now. It was, I think, only a 14-point game then, and maybe 10 as a two-score game. And I thought this is how this is this is what stupid Iowa does. Thinking back to 2009, the interception to India, the inter- Indiana interceptions, the pinballing into Tyler Sash's hands, um, and any other we can take any other examples of stupid games that Iowa has had no business winning and they've gone back to win. However, none of those other teams had a David Bell or a Jeff Grom, and or. <laughs> And uh, the catalyst is, I guess, Iowa still has Brian Ferentz. And, I mean, as, as much as we like to shower him with words of praise, still has a Phil Parker who, for whatever reason, thinks he can single cover an All-American wide receiver. So, <laughs> I mean, this is the devil that we know. And fine as flying sky high as I was following the win over Penn State. I am as low as I am now. However, if this doesn't make I was thinking about it this morning where I was still ang- I was angrier on the podcast last week yes. after a win yes. than I am now. Because I think now I'm just depressed. Now I'm sad. Now I'm back to why did I let the feelings get the best of me. Why did I let Iowa do what Iowa always does to me, which is, and I mentioned this in some writing I did wrote this week where 
I have constructed a timeline of my This is a lie, though. <laughs> well, here's the thing when you rebut me. And okay. My timeline starts with Iowa football fandom as a blue, blurry-eyed freshman in the year. And you say, you know, but you lived through 1998 and the Gary Anderson missed kick with the Vikings. And my rebuttal to that is, well, I was only about a year old when that happened. I was too young and I didn't, you know, really know what sports were. Okay. Yeah, you got me there. I mean, it's here. I'm kind of with you. Like I, I was angry and I think it was around the sentiment around Iowa more than, oh, actually angry at the team or angry at Penn State or angry at yada, yada, yada. It was like, oh, Iowa is still just Iowa in the national landscape. And to your point, the beginning of your sports fandom sadness starting with Iowa is fair because like whenever they fly close to the sun, those wax wings melt in in hilarious fashion. I mean, I, I think Matt Reisner had mm-hmm. a, a an interesting column and saying it was one of the worst, if not the worst, loss in Iowa history. And I think it's interesting because they had never been on, even at this point, the inside looking out from a college football playoff standpoint. And then you look at it from, well, some of the other really bad losses were to fine teams right? Christian McCaffrey, that's one that's like, oh, that's an embarrassing loss. Um, And I think probably one that a lot of people would probably say is the Ronnie Harmon UCLA game, um, where similar sentiment kind of to the Rose Bowl of 2016, where it's like, oh, that's brutal. But I think that the reason this one was so bad was, but also not so bad because we have all the all the check the checklist. It's like, all right, opponent who understands Iowa better than themselves. Just elite player who can take over a game. Quarterback that can dink and dunk. Defensive lineman who can flip the field. Like it, it was like they had the, the exact checklist that you want to to beat Iowa, which makes it simultaneously less frustrating and more frustrating because as you said at the top, Phil Parker for all his faults or for all of the praise and all that he is good at Purdue exposes his scabs year after year. And I do ultimately kind of settle on like you look at him from a basketball defensive standpoint. In my opinion, Phil Parker has created a defense that can stop field goals or stop layups and stop three-pointers, which are the two highest value shots on the floor. But Purdue is a team that lives in the mid-range and is great in the mid-range, and Phil Parker is happy to give those shots. Well, you have a guy like David Bell who can turn a a little crosser at the line of scrimmage into a 60-yard gain, and... 
it gets ugly. Now, I, I think I, they actually missed a field goal after that shot, or after that shot, after that pass, but it, it, nothing felt like more of a microcosm than that, that little play because it's one where, hey, you're happy to give him that pass, but it's, it's like how he can be with letting quarterbacks scramble kind of early in games where there's this huge swath of land that they just eat up and make you feel horrible about. Do we just have to accept that Iowa sports being affiliated with the number two is bad luck? Because what happened when your Iowa Hawkeye basketball team got a two seed this year, Harrison? Um, they lost in uh, the second round after being favored. And, and like, I-, I was thinking about this <laughs> because it is a great point that like Iowa basketball has had their fatal flaw throughout all of the last two years, which was athleticism, which which was defense. Like, let, let's not paint around it. It was defense first, particularly at the guard position. And the only way to counteract that was just outscore outscore teams like Oregon. Well, when when you get outscored like Iowa did in that game, it has the very same feel as what happens uh, against Purdue. And I think it's a similar sentiment because Iowa still had, like, I don't think there was, like, a little Iowa type of feel necessarily that existed in March. But there was that, that I think it's a a dangerous brew for Iowa fans where you have to, like, be a little chestier than normal to, like, we're... We're a good team. We're a good team. And, I, like, I felt it with us. Like, I, I even was, like, selling myself on the offense. Like, the offense isn't as bad as it is. I mean, th- they had the two biggest plays against Penn State all season. But they they couldn't swing it. And it it makes me sad, but I think it also is a bucket of cold water on national expectations receding into the background and more I'll use this word because it frustrated me seeing it on the Twitter earlier with regards to uh Brian Ferentz at the podium more relevant uh goals are now in place as it stands for Iowa because hey the Big Ten's still there for the taking um you need Purdue to lose a game which stinks but that's the way it goes and maybe that comes this week and maybe Iowa's back to being a team that can control its own destiny. But ultimately, let's win the West and and see where it is from there. Because uh, from a national perspective, it, it did hurt in that regard. If both Iowa and Purdue go on to win the rest of their games and Purdue <laughs> makes it to Indy, I'm going to be so fucking mad. But beyond that, the broader <laughs> point is, I think... You're the only person who I've seen really say this and then stick by it is two or three weeks ago, you mentioned I, this is a normal Iowa team that just so happens to be ranked number two at the time. And now <laughs> dropping nine fucking spots, which I don't agree with, I guess, but I do agree with the number 11 ranking, if that makes sense. Yeah. Like, how, Penn State dropped, what, four spots? 
Yeah, I mean, here, six, right? Yeah, but he, here's ultimately where it comes down to is like, as I've said, Iowa flying too close to the sun. That's part of it, and they were overranked. But eleven feels right, even even if you like say, oh, they lost to Purdue in week two. Eleven still feels right because they still have the wins that they do against the teams that they do. Um, like if 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 Iowa, Iowa State's getting better by the week. Yes, if they beat Oklahoma State this weekend. That's like one of the best wins in all of college football. Yeah, yeah. I mean, so ultimately, eleven feels right because the teams ahead of them are the Power Five undefeateds, and then the blue blood uh, one loss teams. So eleven feels right. Like, uh, but to to go from two to eleven, it's like, oh yeah, that was. That was ugly. And, and I think, like, historically, this was something that Stoops had emailed me. Like, it, it was one of the biggest drops that a two-seat or a two-ranked team has ever had. I, I don't care to necessarily fact-check it because I think it would just depress me. I wonder what number two Boston College dropped after they lost with Matt Ryan. Um, do you just want to read the whole Stoops email? No, never mind. Oh, that was a joke. Um, <laughs> it's just, it's, there's a lot. I know. I'm sure there is. I guess. I mean, aren't we aren't we underdog already? Like one week. I know it's a week away because we've got the bye. But aren't we underdogs now to Wisconsin too? Like, it's just um, wild stuff. The way they're letting this. When I say they, I'm waving my hands in the air, gesturing to nobody or nothing in particular. But it's just crazy how it's totally changed the narrative. On I'm not seeing a line yet for on at least on my application for the Iowa Wisconsin game, but it's just so crazy that it feels like Iowa fans were overreacting to us being undefeated, and now everyone who wasn't an Iowa fan is overreacting to Iowa losing a game, which always happens. And the worst part is they're all vindicated. Everyone, I fucking made a hit list of all the, of all the media last week who didn't believe in Iowa. And now they're all right. Yeah, Saturday morning I was like I was so mad at what Lee Corso was saying. And and he was and then he was right. It's like god dang it. But it's the thing is it's so easy to be against Iowa. Like I mean I think that's at the butt of this frustration is like it's easy to be like no, Iowa is actually not as good as they are. The most frustrating part for me, well, a very frustrating part for me and I don't want to to divulge into this topic too much because we did did it ad nauseum last year when it happened. But all of a sudden, after Iowa became number two and then lost a the game, people were dragging the skeletons out of Kirk Ferentz's closet about what happened to the locker room during the 2020, you know, reckoning. And it's like nobody had brought that up at all between then and now. And now that Iowa is good, like I'm going to name drop him, Jason Kirk who didn't bring it up once at all, ever. I listened to his podcast religiously and read his writing religiously, brought it up for the very first time ever 
after Iowa lost. Like, totally and completely kicking down, kicking uh, Iowa and Kirk Ferentz and Brian while they're down. And I'm not saying that the allegations were ever unfair or anything. And we saw this out of Penn State fans, too, which is really fucking rich. But (laughs) the fact of the matter is, is like, now that Iowa has finally turned into a pumpkin, which is something I love to say, they are pointing out all the other warts that appear on the dirt that appears on that pumpkin. And I, I, it's something I don't really like because, you know, do I believe I will run the table rest of the year? I don't know. But if that happens, I think they're going to be pointing at that giant zit uh, on the face of this p- program and franchise. And, you know, the, uh, I will say, you know, like, I don't want to actually know. I don't want to say it because I don't want to bring up any more of the stupid media members I listen to or read. But, but, you know, a couple of them, you know, do, we're, we're defending that. They would sort of share my sentiment on that, how it is weird that once a team is sort of exposed like this, like, if, for example, actually, this is sort of relevant. After finally Ed Orgeron got fired this week, or, I mean, you know, whatever you want to call his separation, even though he's going to coach the rest of the year. Living out the only When we, is all, and I don't know if you've read the athletic story, but this is the first time we heard about him hitting on the wives of boosters, bringing girlfriends to practice, letting nine and 11 year olds participate in drills in his, in his, in his, in his practices. Like that was all kept under wraps until like this bad thing happened to him. And I think it's just so weird that, and like everything, like, especially the story about him hitting on like a booster's wife, that incredibly relevant, you know? But uh, the fact that they were the media kept under wraps until uh, and like greater narrative kept it a secret until oh he's he's going to get fired now so I can reveal this is just so strange and it's you know not a one to one comparison app it's a little it's I think it's not quite at one to one but it's a little bit closer than apples to oranges it, with, with what's going on with the narrative surrounding around Iowa and Kirk Ferentz and Brian and if, and again I'm not a Kirk or Brian apologist if you've listened and read anything I wrote you know I'm not. But I just feel, since we're blogging about this team, I feel like uh, we've got a much better pulse on what's going on than anybody else. I, I, I think you're right. There's some level of one-to-one, but the Ordron thing smacks of like what you see from every, you see this every time someone gets fired. All of the weird stories, no matter how relevant or not, come up to the surface with the Kirk thing. It, it made sense last season as it was happening, as Iowa was losing games to, to open the season. It made sense to kind of continually bring it up because there is that air over it. But now we have 13 games since Iowa had those two losses. ISM had his DUI. there was a narrative to construct that there was a weird locker room situation going on. I don't know how you can retcon yourself into thinking that, oh, Iowa, somehow though, in the midst of a weird locker room, Iowa has been able to win 12 straight games before losing this 13th one. Well, Chad Leistikow wrote at the beginning of the season that he hadn't seen an Iowa team closer. So, yeah. It seems weird for any national voice to kind of bring it up, and and I I don't think it necessarily deserves much more discussion here. That will run its course as it runs its course, Um, and and I think 
what is it? The the deposition got postponed until after this season. So um, more to come on that way later. I, I do want to kind of dive into some of the specifics as it pertains to the Iowa Purdue game because I was I blown away reading or watching the game. I went ahead and kind of charted it because I thought, hey, if I'm going to put myself through this and do it. I'm going to come out with more information than just a take, especially since I did it in the the 60 minute one, you know, it's like you watch that 60 minute mm-hmm. reel, you can't get a feel of the ebbs and flows mm-hmm. necessarily. It's like boom, boom, boom. Um, Cause I know when was a factor, etc. But I think the first broad yet minor thing that sticks out is as I was tracking the plays, 17 of 19 shotgun snaps were passes. And the other one that was jarring is under center. uh, Let me make sure I have this under center 23 of 27 were rushes. So based on where Iowa's quarterback is, is an incredible tell. Now, is this a symptom or is it a disease is uh, probably up for debate. But one thing that blows my mind away, and this is always kind of what I come back to with Iowa's offensive scheme, is they never make it easy for Iowa to move yards. They they just simply don't. It's like, if we're in a passing formation, we're going to pass. I mean, I just think about, all right, if I'm George Karloftis, and I see Spencer Petrus in the shotgun. I just have to get to that spot. Like, I just have to beat my man, get to that spot. And because my cornerbacks see the quarterback also in shotgun, all they have to do is guard guard their man for a second and a half. And I can blow this play up and it'll be over. And then... It, it, it just it blows my mind that Iowa could be so telegraphed, and this this is where it feels a little weird because this type of analysis was being done as Greg Davis was put out to pasture, and I have not seen that done from a media standpoint um, quite yet. It, and it is just one game. I, I understand that, like I just did this for one game, but man. It was wild to, to see those stats come out like that. And, and the one sh- one of the two shotgun runs that they had was at the goal line. So, like, it, it, in a running situation with, like, 22 personnel. <laughs> so, it's just, like, it, it, it's, it's frustrating because all the concerns we have about Iowa's offense were exacerbated by that exercise that I went through. <clears throat> a couple things I want to follow up. First, I can now just imagine Brian Ferentz as as KGB John Malkovich from Rounders eating Oreos on the sideline and the Purdue defensive coordinator <laughs> knowing exactly <laughs> what his tell is. Second, I mean, I want to ask you, you bring up the how telegraphed Iowa's play. Plays are going to be based on the location of Spencer Petrus in shotgun or under center. What does that tell you? about the strengths and weaknesses of this Iowa team. 
So, so I think if I if I'm going to be compliment, if I'm going to not find blame in Brian Ferentz with this play calling and shift it, to me, what it says is that Spencer Petrus can't operate under center as a passer. And I think that there's that piece to it. And then I think there's the other where, or the extension of that, which is the plays Iowa likes to run with a quarterback under center, primarily play action stuff are things that he can't play off schedule from. So, but other than that, it's, just an incredible tell to have. And like I said, just one game, uh, Iowa operated with a, like just a basic game plan. And I think that that's kind of where it, where it is. If I'm not going to be kind of focused on that, I guess they're or not focused on the Brian aspect of it. There's probably some, some math to, well, if you have a guy in shotgun, you can get the ball out quicker from and you can protect your offensive line a little bit from a pass rushing standpoint, but you still have to keep the defensive front honest with more runs out of the shotgun. There, I don't think this was why I lost, but there was an abandonment of, you know, the, 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 the wildcat too, but, I don't yeah. think Wildcat would have done anything against this pretty team. <laughs> no. But, I mean, I want to go back to what you said. You know, you said that it shows you that Spencer Petrus can't operate under center, but are you saying he can't operate under center or he can't operate when he's got no blocking? Because I mean, I, that, that's... I, I think you're yeah. kind of jumping through hoops to avoid the, the topic here. No, I, I, I to me, it it starts with Brian Ferentz. It, it, like, okay. to, yeah. to, to, so if, but if I'm going to try and unpeel the layers to it and explore everything, like maybe it isn't just Brian Ferentz, but, but to me to have such a tell is Brian Ferentz. Like if it were, if it weren't him, we would see a closer to 50, 50 split from a, run standpoint out of the shotgun. Especially for a team that likes to assert balance. Right. Yeah, I mean, he knows, Brian knows better than anyone else, except except for us, because we're much smarter than he is. Uh, the strengths <laughs> and weaknesses of what, of what his team is. And to sort of go back to what you're alluding to, how there hasn't been sort of the criticisms the Brian doesn't suffer the critic same criticisms that his predecessor has and sort of the media and I obviously they're they're definitely deserved uh, I think part of it is just like one it's sort of futile I think to be critical like nothing's going to change Kirk's not going to fire his son so there's that and then and then there's going back to him. He's done to his credit. He's done a really we one. He's had a he's done a really good job of being an ambassador for the program between his wife and the tragedy with his his daughter and things like that. And there's a commenter on the site this week about how after the Penn State game, he literally bumped heads into Brian in the, on the campus of Kinnick, and Brian's 
spoke with him for five entire minutes right after leaving the, the facility, pretending like they were after like as if they were old friends catching up. So he's done a really good job. And then finally, there's other people like yourself who tried to, who sorry, uh, there's people who reference his podcast, three hour long podcast with Chad every opportunity they can. Yes. So he's done and Greg, yeah, and his and I still. I feel, speaking of vindication, I feel extremely vindicated having not listened to a single second of that podcast for this very reason, because I know, I knew, again, he was a pumpkin. And Greg Davis never did that. And he didn't have that job security and he didn't have that last name. And we talk about all the time, you go to army, you go to war with the army you have. (laughs) Brian's a fucking general. And it sucks. It really sucks. Yeah, and like I mean, where so so like I, I think that there are two things. There's like the criticism that I kind of levied, but I think there's also the criticism to be had on Brian's terms. And when I say that, I think about hey, are is Iowa hitting on the opportunities they have, which are call it three to five drives uh, per game, and are they hitting on the big plays that they need to hit on? And to me, the most concerning thing, and I understand like some of this is you know, amidst the end of game situations that Iowa has been in over the last couple of games, but red zone scoring is down to 65%, which is good for like 118th in the country. That is not good uh, when you look at it from a, a last three and last one perspective. I think Iowa hit on one out of five times in the red zone on Saturday. And I think it is was four and nine, if I remember correctly, if you include the Penn State and Maryland games before that. Those are not winning numbers for Iowa. They just aren't. And it's, it's the type of thing that is a criticism on his terms where – you say you need to be good in the red zone and you've been really quite bad in the red zone. And frankly, I don't see much optimism for that improving considering that the two teams coming up are teams that match Iowa in a way that Purdue matches Iowa from a patient standpoint, from a stylistic standpoint that they're able to kind of, hit at similar scabs that um, Phil Parker may have. And they're also very complimentary football teams in terms of, hey, using the offense to help the defense and things like that. I thought that that was maybe an underrated thing from this past game where Purdue strung out long possessions with – incredible, I mean, not really efficiency because they took a lot of time, took a lot of plays, but their ability to continue drives was a huge part of that. I think it was 9 of 13 that had it um, before they went into kick it away mode. So when I look at it from that respect... They were 9 of of 16 on third down even in kick it away mode, which, shit, you take that all day. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, so it, it just, 
it asks so much of the defense to be great every single time they're on the field that it's easy to see why people are pessimistic going forward. I don't know where I stand yet. I think I've maybe leaned a little too much into negativity so far, but Iowa lost and it's, and it's honestly kind of hard. The only positives are, well, nothing went their way. And how many, how many more games can Iowa have where nothing goes their way, but really things went their way. They just didn't capitalize on them. Yeah. I mean, they, Brown poked every single hole he could in this, in this defense. And, I think going. I don't want to keep on harping on Brian and Brian happily show exposed every single hole in the offense. Like I think they may. I don't want to. You know, it's so classic for us to be literally armchair quarterbacks, but I really don't think this is a tough game for the Purdue coaches to coach. And the track record against Iowa, I think, proves my fact. And. It, it's like this is the type of thing. Like who, you can think about how many coaches have lost jobs because they just couldn't beat their rival. I'm trying to think. I just I'm trying to think off the top of my head. It's but it's like you always say like you if you take the Florida State job, all you have to do is beat Florida, and if you and and vice versa. Or if you take the I mean, it doesn't really work that way between Wisconsin and Minnesota, unfortunately. But like Michigan and Ohio State's a great example. I said going to the year, the only thing that's going to save. Harbaugh's job is beating Ohio State. I think that's wrong now because he's done an incredible job everywhere else. But all you have to do between Ohio State and Michigan, really, all you have to do is beat one or the other every few years. Whereas now, Purdue, who's not even a rival, never really, no, not a rival to anybody, but maybe Indiana, and that's only because they're in state and it's just two cellar dwellers of the program. But now it's like, and Brom sort of like saved his own job. By being, he was on a hot seat going into the year, and now all of a sudden they're four and two, and in the driver's seat in the West, and like that's the type of thing that get coaches fired at schools that don't have a coach who's been your coach for twenty five years and counting. <laughs> I think Nicholas had this stat in the comments where it was uh, half of Brahms' conference wins are against Iowa and Illinois. Insane. What incredible! What incredible company for uh, Kirk Ferentz to keep in uh, Brahms' Big Ten tenure. I- incredible. I-, I think I had it and I forgot it. But, like, ultimately, this bye week is just, it's coming at the right time. And from a, like, thought perspective thought perspective like what what can be done though like ultimately what can be done do you think for for Iowa to trend up the rest of the season get to the conference championship game because as I said kind of at the top this being a reset of goals get to get to Indianapolis it's still there but as a a glass half empty type Statement: I was only controlled their destiny once in November in eleven seasons since uh, since the divisions have been in place. So I'm 
just got to beat Wisconsin, I guess. I mean, like, I, but I, I just don't know how, how that'll happen. I mean, I do, but I don't. I mean, selfishly, yeah, I think the season's a complete and total loss unless we make it to Indy. Um, you, one more loss in the regular season, I think, is, is sort of unacceptable for our, for what we've seen, how this team can play. Um barring, you know, some further substantial extenuating circumstances between injuries and maybe other weird things that could happen between then and the end. Now in the end, I mean, but I don't even remember what your question was. I mean, I guess, like, is the, is there anything you want to see Iowa index on going forward as a football team that we've seen either glimmers of or not like what 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 do you think will turn Iowa into that team that's representing the West other than just a, a reversion to well let's just hope the turnovers keep keep uh, running like they did the first six games I mean here's the thing I don't think there's anything Iowa can do like they've showed us they've already sort of now I'm talking myself out of going on to Peter rest of the year. They start, they've already reached a peak. Like, I don't think, you know, I want to say get the ball to Keegan Johnson and Arvin Bruce more, but I don't think that's going to result in more wins necessarily getting them the ball, getting them the ball more over Nico Regani and Tyrone Trace is not getting the ball at all. So that doesn't really matter. Um, I want to say like, other than just like the offensive line playing better, like a lot better, which I don't really think will happen. Other than just saying the players play better, uh, there's really nothing I can do. It's not like I, in years past where we can say, like, Phil Parker needs to blitz more and Iowa needs to give Akron Wobby the ball more or give Amir Smith Marcet the ball more or Nate Stanley. Like, really, it's been like sort of, you know, Nate Stanley just had to play better and I was going to be better. It's just as simple. Most of the time, it's as simple. God damn it. What does Kirk Ferentz always fucking say after they lose a game and we get mad at them about? Team, team game. No, execution, but yes. Oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The execution stuff just cracks me up. Because, like, a part of the charting exercise... It's the perfect response. It's the perfect response because, well, if so-and-so did this instead of that, then we would have won. So it's execution. Like, it's, it's chess. It's every single game in the history of games is if one thing didn't happen that did happen... Then it would the outcome would be different. That is everything in 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 all of life. Well, I, I even think about like the Purdue game could not have started worse for Iowa than it did, right? Like they got the ball moving and then they throw an interception, which to to his credit, he hasn't done early like he did, um, and that kind of set the tone, right? Because, hey, you're driving, you don't come away with points. Your kicker, I th- the next driver too, he doesn't convert. So you're this looking at, at, at minimum, Iowa should have probably had a 6-0 lead or something. And they are stuck down 7-0. And this was always kind of the criticism of Iowa and the way to counter it is just, Play football the way Iowa plays football, but don't let them score first. And 
that's what Purdue did. And I guess that's just does Iowa, how does Iowa place a, an emphasis on scoring earlier more points? I don't know. Like, I mean, to your point, execution. If that ball is a foot lower than it is, it's probably a catch. And we are probably still talking about an Iowa loss, but just under a different circumstance. Here's something else I want to talk about that I haven't really seen written, or I, I will be on. I'm being very, what's the word, childish. Um, I guess I wanted this to be therapeutic for me to say, like, after I, after every Saturday, so, you know, every Sunday morning, I've been reading everything I can about the Iowa Hawkeyes and just, like, greater college football <laughs> landscape in general, listening to all the podcasts that I've name-dropped earlier. I just can't get enough of anything college, tangentially college football related. Also, part of that too is like Georgia, who I mean is like my second favorite team. They're amazing too. So that's uh, been fun for me. But this past Sunday, no podcast, no reading. I haven't. The only article I've read on the Athletic this week has been about the Minnesota Wild and like the Olgeron story. I haven't read any <laughs> Iowa media content. I haven't even read. I'll be honest. Like I've read Matt Reisner's piece, and I don't think I've read anybody. And I. Couldn't even read all the comments on our website other than I, I banned like 10 Penn State commenters who you're the saddest <laughs> motherfuckers around. Go get a life, you fucking losers. I have your work emails saved to my account. Um, I was going to say, the thing that I haven't read, and if it has, if you have seen somewhere, correct me, Purdue, they had three quarterbacks better than I was one on Saturday. And that's a fucking problem, Harrison. <laughs> that's a huge <laughs> fucking problem. Aiden O'Connell, uh, Aiden O'Connell made throws that we haven't seen an Iowa quarterback make since, since C.J. Beathard circa 2015. Not C.J. Beathard 2016, even. Like, we haven't had a... How, how does Purdue have three, three better quarterbacks than Iowa's had in the past six years on one roster? Who's the head coach? The, the head coach. I mean, you're right. this is just you're absolutely the, right. This is just where it comes down to, like when you're when you have the system that you have for as long as you do. If you're Kirk Ferentz, or even if you're Jeff Brom, Jeff Brom can go into any living room and tell the quarterback or the, the wide receiver, "You are going to be involved. I'm going to make you the focal point of your offense. If you listen to me, I will make you a good college quarterback." Versus Iowa, you have, hey, if you block, you'll see the field for a wide receiver. And if you learn the playbook and are a coach on the field, then you might be able to play as a quarterback. Like the value statements that Iowa attributes to the quarterback versus what Jeff Brom attributes to the quarterback, it's so different. It's so different. And it's... It's funny because like this Purdue team had operated so differently prior to this with, I think that they might have the best scoring defense in the conference. Now I haven't checked. Um, But when you, when you have a scheme and a a philosophy that is um, enticing to, uh, you know, 18-year-olds, that's that's how you get better quarterbacks than Iowa has um, because Iowa's scheme is not enticing. And, like, I, 
I talked about or tweet about this at, from the wedding because I how, how could I not see that David Pell was just like putting up yards and yards and yards. But Iowa hasn't had someone over a thousand receiving yards since Marvin McNutt in 2011, and the most they've had since then were like a couple uh, between seven and eight hundred yards. Now I understand a thousand is a lot to accumulate over a year, but between seven and eight hundred, that is sixty yards a game. How, how can you credibly go into a wide receiver's um, living room and say I? We're going to turn you into a uh, an NFL wide receiver when you can't even get 60 yards a game. I mean, Brandon Smith on the outskirts and Amir Smith-Marset, he's only in the league because he's like got breakaway speed and a, and a kick returner. So, like, I always cultivated a... Uh, uh, a scheme and whatnot where they, it just devalues skill position players, quarterbacks included. And it's hard to do it. I genuinely, I don't know how Arlen blue Bruce and Keegan Johnson are on the roster because those guys are electric players and, um, underutilized. But to your point, does, does that, does more Keegan Johnson make, make Iowa better and, and, and turn this into a win or, turn games that might not be wins into wins. Who knows? It probably just comes down to not making mistakes. I just live fact-checked you, and since 2011, nobody's touched 800 yards receiving. Amir Smith-Marquette got 722 in 2019. The most since 2011 is 760 yards. And do you know who owns that? Do you know who owns that? Was that Keenan Davis or Tavon Smith? Not a wide receiver. Tight end, T.J. Oh, yeah. Hankinson. Yeah. Yep. So, you're right. Like, how – and then I want to mention Aiden O'Connell was a walk-on at yeah. Purdue. So, uh, we all we do is talk about how great these football coach, – these Iowa coaches are at recruiting under undervalued, overlooked players – and that talk about pumpkins. That's another freaking pumpkin too. I think Harrison. And you're right. It is incredible that we do have more. Like, like if, if Keegan Johnson and Alvin Bruce are out at, at Purdue right now, are they like in? Are they in freshman All American conversation like Rondale Moore is? Like, honestly, like do we have to wonder. Are we? Do we have to be nervous about them transferring at the end? I don't think necessarily. Transferring from a team that's right now ranked number eleven with one loss is ridiculous. Speak, but if this season, this season could easily snowball, just as easy. I think snowballing is probably maybe a little bit more likely than uh, I were going undefeated rest of the way, right? So yeah, I, mean, I, yeah. I think obviously somewhere in between is the most likely outcome, uh, where I would probably lose two more games or one more game rest of the year. But, I mean, you're right. This team needs to have sort of a reckoning with... And then furthermore, I mean, the, the entire offense is stinky with the way, I mean, the, Kirk Ferentz has made his entire living off this myth. He's the best offensive line coach in the country. And, I mean, you've put in the slack. When was the last time Iowa had an elite offensive line? Like, 2004? So... Yeah, yeah. It's just I mean, pretty, yeah. pretty ridiculous. 
yeah, I mean, sort I, of apologizing I, what this coaching staff can do when we watch in our own two eyes. I mean, we, we sort of watch them stab us in the back every single, not every weekend, but, you know, it's kind of like clockwork. You could probably set set the clock by getting let down by this football team. And it's always from the exact, the exact same way is the most frustrating part. Uh, I'm going to set my watch to uh, the the game in West Lafayette next year because probably going to go to that. Um, I'm probably not going to enjoy it because Jeff Brom, unless he's gone. That's a lose-lose, that's a lose-lose proposition for you. Yeah, I mean, because worst case, I'm – I mean, best case, Iowa's won and I'm still in West Lafayette, which is a, is a town that right. exists with a college in it. Um, no, uh, I mean, I think the thing that that's wild and like, this is, this it's you can't look at the negatives of the Kirk Ferentz system without like necessarily looking at the positives of it. And I think the fact that Iowa hadn't been embarrassed in the way that they were embarrassed on Saturday since Probably, I would say, 2016, that uh, Florida um, bowl game. I think that there are so many I disagree. Hold on, I want to stop you there. I disagree. Any loss to Purdue is embarrassing. Okay. Okay. No matter, no matter the circumstances. But it was 17 points. Like, I mean, th- that was a big loss at home as the number two team. I don't think that there's... Okay, yes, you're right, okay. But I, I, mean, um, I mean, it was a meaningless bowl game to an SEC team, but whatever. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. But, uh, I mean, I think it's just, it's hard to be like rag on the offense when what I, I did watch enough of that game once that are like the offense doesn't look that much different than it's looked all season, but it was worse. Like it was worse. And that's what, that's kind of the spectrum that Kirk Ferentz puts the offense in the bind of, Hey, we're going to ask you to operate at a potentially suboptimal level. So when it actually is bad, it looks really, 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 really bad. Instead of just, oh, we got the yards, but we turned it over all the time. Like, I mean, I think that it, it's it's tough because especially in a game like where the wind played a factor, just, but again, what, why, why is Iowa's scheme or game to game philosophy so built on field position and kicking the ball when it's in the upper Midwest and the wind is going to play a factor in what, 50% of games in October and November? I guess you're right. Sort of, as you laid out your argument there, it's like, what did, what was this game missing? It was missing an incredible Charlie Jones to catch all Iowa State. It was missing a perfectly timed play call from Brian Ferentz, a la Nico Regani last week, or Nick Easley against Mississippi State and the another meaningless poll game against an SEC team a few years ago. It was missing an incre- you know an incredible run from Amir uh, not Amir uh, but Tyler Goodson that we saw maybe or a run after a catch that we saw against Maryland. It was missing you know incredible acro- acrobatic interceptions from Riley Moss who didn't play and I by I don't think the outcome would have been any different at all 
if he did play. Let me make that clear. It was missing incredible. So an acrobatic interception or a great play from Matt Hankins, let's say, or Dane Belton. So, and it was, then it was missing, and it was missing perfection from Caleb Chudak, and it was missing perfection from Tory Taylor. And so when you add all those things up, which are negatives, when you take all those negatives, it turns into one big fat Iowa L. Yeah, I mean, I think that that, that frames it up nicely. Um, it, it's just... It's frustrating, like, but it is just one game, I guess, is ultimately a thing, and why it's. It, I, I sense some amount of optimism from you, despite the frustration that we experienced from from the game on Saturday. Well, yeah, I'm optimistic because the Big Ten West stinks so much; yeah. it is so yeah. bad. So that's why I'm optimistic. <laughs> what a place to be, Ben! What, what a place to be. Um, I mentioned the Nebraska game at the top. I just want to circle back to that because it was genuinely wild to watch because they had a fourth and one from the... And this is also what happened. Like, Iowa's sneaks are no longer automatic. Like, I mean, that was... Talk about square peg round hole. Like, holy hell. Yeah. And... Um, So, the reason I brought up the sneak is... Adrian Martinez could not score from the goal line twice. One time, and this is hilarious. Uh, I'm going to recap it again in my ponks because it's just so ridiculous. Every part of Adrian Martinez crossed the goal line of a third down run, except for the part with the ball. Like his head, his shoulder, his foot, all across the goal line, ball not. And then on fourth down, they run some dumb play where they don't score. So, like, I think I'm in the clear with the over. And then I'm not because Minnesota, they punted away. Somehow, Nebraska has the ball on the other goal line. Safety on a throw. I just couldn't believe it. And then two meaningless touchdowns, the over hits. Not a bad beat because... Holding in the end zone, right? Was the safety... Yeah. Um, yeah, or no, it was intentional grounding because oh, he just it. threw it away. Yeah. yeah, threw it away. Incredible. Uh, that was I, a fun one. I've always said the Nebraska game doesn't really worry me because there's no way Adrian Martinez is making it ten game, twelve games, or whatever it is this year. If he's not down by now, then he he's made a fucking mylar. He's he he's not he's impossible to hurt. So we're going to see a fully healthy Adrian Martinez in, uh, the, uh, the, on Black Friday. And if, if Nebraska is fighting, if they've got five wins at that game, if they're fighting for bowl eligibility, potentially Scott Frost's job, uh, that's the la- last team I'd rather, I'd rather play Georgia or Alabama than that Nebraska team. <laughs> I, the only reason I disagree is because if you get – the Mylar Adrian Martinez. You can't spay, spell Adrian without Adrian Martinez. No, you can. Um, <laughs> nice. Uh, nice. Is, is, uh, he's always prone to just two or three game-breakingly dumb decisions because so much is put on his shoulders. And yeah, we might see him. We might see him. Um, I haven't even looked at the Big Ten schedule coming up this week. 
Like I, I've just it's been close. This is this overall. This college football week stinks. There's not a single game between two ranked teams. Because what I see it was the the like the big game of the week is almost Iowa State Oklahoma State. Yeah, that's it. That's the best game of the week. I think there's Wisconsin. I think Wisconsin plays Purdue, right? So that's like oh, uh, and that one too. You're right. That's kind of that's right. kind of important. Um, but like Michigan plays Maryland, I think, or Penn State plays Maryland. Penn State plays Illinois. Um, Michigan plays Northwestern. Like, it's gross. Maryland to Minnesota, fucking kill me. Ohio State, Indiana again. I don't know what's going on there. <sighs> Whatever. It'd be a good weekend to go back and to my pumpkin patch and take a nap. I'm 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 pumpkin patching it. That's that is for sure. Maybe I commit to being a uh, an I or a Purdue fan the rest of the season because I know I the second I do that, they will lose Ooh, the heartbreaking fashion. Do it for us, yeah. I know. I will. <laughs> what are you gonna say? No, just exactly what you're gonna say. Do it for the reverse jinx. Yeah, I wish you could see how bad my pumpkin is that I carved. It is. An Where is it? Let's right? see. It's it. on my. It's on my back deck. Oh, I'll, yeah, you're not gonna take it I'll save. I'll save it for our Patreon subscribers. But it is. <laughs> <laughs> talk about talk about Halloween nightmares and scary movies. My pumpkin. Let me tell you, it's bad. Did you just try and do the jack o' lantern, um, or was it supposed to be something else? No, I mean, I, I bought a pumpkin carving kit and it came with like 20 stencils and I chose, it's actually kind of cute. It ranked how difficult it, each stencil was based on like, fine, this is five pumpkins, so it's impossible. And I think I, mine was two or three pumpkins trying trying to impress the person I was carving pumpkins with. And I mean, I chose moderate and I'm a, I, I, I'm a one pumpkin man with a, who uh, took on a three pumpkin job and it shows. How did the other pumpkin turn out? Incredible. Hers looks so good. It's perfect. It's really put in my place. Uh, the classic overconfidence. Toxic masculinity at its finest. Oh, which is something I've never been accused of. By the way. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my no, God. I know, I'm kidding. It was a bad joke. A bad yeah, joke, no, but... it was good. Uh, this is all good. This is all 60 minutes of gold. Fantastic. Well, Ben, we are right at the hour mark. That's incredible. Um, anything else you want to add? No, I mean, I was on a bye this week. The Vikings are on a bye this week. I think it's going to be a little too cold to golf. I don't know what I'm going to do. College football is crappy. I think, yeah. Back we'll to have the playoff patch. baseball, I guess, yeah. Oh, back to the pumpkin uh, patch is right. I'm trying to think. I, the one thing I want to rebring up is the the school pictures that they put Elliot through. Oh, oh my yeah. god, those are good. Those are I, really I good. sent those to the Slack channel, and the the boy had been through it. <laughs> it's tough. I you made me remember. It's like when we took. I remember my mom always rooting those out every few years. Like. We would have like stage, like babbling brooks and like fake rocks for ours. And it kind of, your Elliot's almost, we just like a shade because it's somewhere in black and white, which is a move I've never seen before, which I really appreciate. But when you go to black and white, you get sort of like the old timey 
Yes. Pictures you would get, you would take at, um, you know, fair or whatever. Yeah, a fair or carnival. And I really like how Life Touch has made some advancements in in that in that department and their business model. Yeah, incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. Well, I'll probably share them when when we get the digital copies to the uh, internet. Not getting all late because that should, is a hefty price to pay. But should we have a Squid Game podcast? Oh, we can probably do that. Yeah, let's do that. Let's talk about that next week. We'll talk about that in basketball next week. Cool. Okay. All right. Producing and a podcast per usual. All right. For Ben Ross, <laughs> for uh, John Johnston, the coordination dude who went on that hilarious rant, and uh, for myself, Harrison Starr. Go Hawks. Enjoy the off week. Red light.